What are the qualifications of a pastor? I think that when search committees go to churches, they determine that they want somebody they can listen to, that tells fantastic stories, and somehow appeals to their flesh. Now, they don't really say it that way, but they say something along the lines of, we want somebody that, you know, is, is interesting. We want somebody that can, you know, tell a good story. But somebody who makes us feel good. And that's what I'm saying here, folks. As many times that what happens when a church is looking for somebody, and many times what happens when a, a people are running to a, another church is because that pastor, he is, can tell some great stories. They're fantastic stories, stories that have to have had miracles that have happened in them. And then he does this thing that makes you feel so good. But is that what you really need? Is that what the qualifications are for a pastor? Well, the qualifications for a pastor is the same as they would be for an elder because a pastor should be an elder in the church. The problem that we've had so long in Baptist churches is that because we haven't had elders, what we've done is we've only elected the pastor to be the elder. And the pastor has to act as the elder. And what happens so often is when he addresses some issue, especially an issue of maybe a a sinful issue or maybe a doctrine issue, what happens is they look at that pastor and say, we hired you, buddy. You can't tell us what to do. You're all by your lonesome out there and we can do something to you. We can make sure you don't come back here. You know, I've always said I didn't ever watch Survivor. I never did watch Survivor because I can be voted off the island any business meeting. Do you understand that? You see, but when you have a plurality of elders, a group of people that are elders, it carries a weight because part of the reason is, is because they were here before the pastor got here. Part of the reason is, is because there's more of them and they have more of a, uh, an understanding that the people have that these are people who are spiritual. For so many times, all they ever call the pastor is preacher. And that's all they really want is a preacher. And so there is no evaluation by some kind of biblical standard And I believe that that's one of the reasons, because if you get into the preaching only of sermons that are, you know, make you feel good, then you're never getting into the doctrine because people don't want to hear doctrine. I've heard this over and over again. I don't want to hear any of that doctrine. I don't want to hear any of that teaching that's going to hold us to the word of God. What I want is something that's going to make me feel good this week. Don't you understand that? And I believe that the reason this Baptist are snatched away They fall under every wind of doctrine that comes along or every wind of of whatever it is that goes along and they're wooed away because the churches are going to follow someone who's charismatic, who can tell those fantastic stories, those stories of miracles. And by the way, folks, those stories don't have to be true. They tell many times, I've caught caught pastors, they're telling a story that is not true. But boy, did they, they spiced it up just right. It sounded so good. And somebody that appeals to their flesh. You know, I I was watching on YouTube, and I'm going to mention his name because I'm kind of tired of not mentioning people's names. Just call it what it is. I was watching Jesse Duplantis on YouTube. And he had the audacity to say that God had asked him for his opinion because God didn't know what to do. You understand? And I wasn't so surprised that he said that. You know what surprised me? Is that they didn't get up and leave right then. 
They didn't understand that when you have an omniscient God, he knows everything. There is nothing that you're going to inform him of. He's not going to say, oh, I didn't know that. Oh man, I'm so glad you let me know. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do, Jesse. Can you tell me what to do? And so we have elders. Our church should have elders, I think. Because elders have a great set of qualifications and they go even beyond that of deacons. Now, a lot of the qualifications of an elder is the qualification of the deacons. And because I preached on that so many times and because I don't want to preach a four-hour sermon today and I don't think you want me to either, that I'm only going to hit those ones that are for the elders and not the deacons because they, they duplicate a lot of those from elders from deacons to elders. So I'm going to read two sets of scriptures, and this is where the qualifications of an elder are. You know, it's kind of funny to me that you would find that they're, they're appointing elders in every church, and you read that in the New Testament. They give qualifications twice in the Bible for elders, and churches don't have elders. Doesn't sound quite right, does it? Some, something's missing there. <clears throat> Let me give you the first one. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, the word overseer is the word episkopos. It is interchangeable with the elder. Elder is presbyteros. And so you understand that, you know, you get presbyopia, you know, with your eyes. Elder uh, vision is what you get. That's what Brett has now, right? Brett. Anyway, so that, that uh, presbyopia. So this is the kind of thing that happens. They're overlapping there because you can see they're, they're interchangeable. Sometimes I'll be reading along and the, the word will be overseer and the next time they'll say elder. So it's, it's obvious they're talking about the same thing. It says the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for uh, God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Okay, that's there. Let's look at another one. Titus chapter 1 verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained to order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, see how it interchanged right there? Right in the spot, okay? For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to, to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So let's kind of sort these things out, because several of these are related to one another. You can put these in little groups, and that's what I've done here. Put these in little groups to see how they work together. If you're going to have an elder, if you're going to have a pastor. Pastor needs to have these things. And when the pastor doesn't do these things, then that pastor needs to be 
talk to. Understand, this is the way, that, the way it should be. And so it says here, elders must be disciplined. And they give some definitions for the discipline in there. One is, elders are self-controlled. They are self-controlled. And we're going to go through the, some of these things that are there. It says that elders are not to drink wine in such a way that they're going to cause violence and quarreling. And when they looked at that and they said, you know what? They said here um, that... Um, He's not to drink wine in such a way that leads to violence and quarreling. The word drunkard actually means one who sits long at his wine. You understand what I'm saying to you? He's got it there and he's sitting there long at it because he's having one after another, after another, after another. He's not going to be a drunkard in in that way. Now, this does not prohibit wine from being drunk by an elder, no. But it certainly does say that there is extreme moderation. And I can tell you that it is easier to say, if you have not decided beforehand, it is much easier to say, you know, this one more drink won't affect me. One more drink won't do it. And then you take another one. And you say, oh, yeah, I still feel clear-headed. I can take another drink. And you can take another drink and another drink and another drink. And I don't speak from lack of experience, folks. I want you to understand, my, my last time to have alcohol as drink was in January of 1975. That's the last time. But I was pretty good at it before that. I'm going to tell you up front. And I don't think that things have changed where you can take a drink and you could say, you know what, I think I can take another one and I'll be okay. I can still drive. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because that's what happens to a lot of people. I can still drive. I still feel okay. And that's what happens to many, many people. It's not, a, it's not a, uh, uh, for you to swear off all alcohol. It's saying that you got to know your limit. See, some people become angry drunks and they become violent drunks. I lived next to a guy a long, long time ago. And he was the most gentle guy. Been in the Marines. He'd been, he was the most gentle guy you'd know, except when he got drunk. Every time he got drunk, he got in a fight. And he had this amazing ability. He must have been strong as an ox. I don't know what it was. But he had this one punch knock him out. It wasn't much of a fight because when they would say something, whatever it was, what, it didn't matter what it was. He was ready for a fight as soon as he got drunk. He would kind of, he had one of these deals where he kind of came up and hit the guy. I mean, and he'd knock him out every time. One punch. I mean, always plop. That's, that's all it was. I don't know if they were faking it and they didn't want any more of it or whether or not that was what it was doing. But he was a gentle guy except when he got drunk. And some people do. It says an elder is not violent. Violent. That word means not a striker. It, 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 the noun means a bruiser, one who's ready with a blow, a pugnacious, contentious, quarrelsome person. That's what happens with some people when they drink. They become this sort of person. And so there are many ways to be a striker, though, by the way, folks. Uh, Some people can do it with their fists. Some people can do it with their tongue. You can be meaner with your tongue sometimes. It hurts somebody even worse than you can with your fist. And a, a drunkard can do both of those things to a person. The result is that an elder is gentle. The elder is gentle. The elder guards his emotions so that he's gentle with people at all times. The Greek word is difficult to translate. Let me give you what it actually, that Greek word means. And it means all of these at the same time. It's not that I want to pick one word out and I'm going to say it means this or it means that. It means all of these words at the same time. 
It means it's sweet reasonableness. You know, you know how you have, somebody can have sweet reasonableness. You know, it means gracious, kindly, forbearing, considerate, magnanimous, and genial. It means all of these things at the same time. And it takes maturity to be gentle, especially when the people are not being gentle with you, especially when somebody's not doing what you really want them to do. And it also takes maturity to have a firm hand and still remain gentle. Because what happens with us so often is, is that we are not gentle when we have to have a firm hand, not even with our children or with our spouse or with anybody else, as far as that goes. You know, you've got to be even you got to be gentle even when you have that firm hand. Now, I'm going to tell you a story that I don't want you to say I'm, I'm trying to get praise because I'm going to tell you why this happened. Decades ago, I was in a position where I had to let somebody, I had to fire somebody. Let's just tell it what it is. I had, you can say it any way you want to. I had to let them go. I had to do whatever. But I had to fire somebody. And I didn't want to do it, but I had to do it. It was one of those things that I just had to do. And so I did it. Now, I want you to hear this. It hurt. It hurt. But you know what I was afraid of? I'll tell you what I was afraid of. I was afraid that I would start to become callous to that and would simply get rid of people without thinking about them. And so when that happened, that, that very day, I said, Lord, I want this pain every time I have to let somebody go. I don't want to ever, ever, ever in my life to be able to just say, well, I'm, I'll just get rid of them, you know, like that. I don't want that in my life. I don't want to be that person. I want to be a person that feels the pain and will only do it because I know that it has to be done. I've had to do this several times, by the way, since then. And I remember one, one lady that I had to let go. And I, you know, I... I mean, I, I tried to be gentle. And in fact is, is that realize that lady and I are still friends. You understand that? Even though I let her go. And when we come into town, she'll call us up if she knows we're in town. And she'll say, why don't you and Karen and I, why don't we have, why don't we have dinner together? She's a friend. I didn't like doing it. And I think that the Lord answered my prayer. And that hurting every time is what needs to be done. And to do it with such gentleness that, you, uh, that you're not hurting the person. Un, you know, in a, you're probably hurting the person, but not in extreme ways. Discipline is doing what you need to do when you don't want to. Let's call it what it is. Discipline is restraining from doing the things you shouldn't do. Discipline is doing the things that you don't want to do. It's both sides of this. I don't want to, I'm not supposed to do that. I don't do that. I should do this. I will do this. And it's doing it when maybe you don't want to. Let's say you're extremely hungry and a meal is set before you. You don't just sit down and eat as much as you can. Unfortunately, I think that's the motto of at Captain George's, you know. Eat as much as you can. It costs so much, I think that's why. You see, let's say you're on the couch and you're relaxing, but that's all you do is sit on the couch and relaxing. Discipline is getting up and getting some exercise. Understand. Discipline in a spiritual matter makes a commitment to follow the Lord's leading. 
It is a prayer at that beginning of day. Maybe you don't, you got so much to do that day, you don't you say, I, I don't even have time to pray. You always have time to pray, folks. It's that reading of the scripture. Reading of the scripture, you get up in the morning, and it is that memorization of the scripture. And by the way, if you say, I can't memorize, I can't memorize, you just keep reading that scripture over and over again and see what happens. You'll memorize it. Maybe you didn't plan on memorize it, but you will memorize it. Read it again and again. It is studying the scriptures to develop biblical doctrines that form a foundation for faith. That's what it really is. It is teaching. When it is easier to say, you know what, we know why a lot of people don't teach. Not because they are not gifted to teach, not because that, you know, that uh, when they teach, it's not amazing things that happen because of them. It's because they don't want to be there every Sunday. They want to be able to decide on that Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, I just want to get up today and decide whether or not I'm going to go to church. And they can't do it if they're a teacher. And they do it that way. They see discipline says, I do it because that's what the Lord has called me to do. And there may be some Sundays that they need to be out, but they don't decide on Sunday morning that they need to be out. And so, and discipline is addressing difficult issues with people. There are some times that you have to, you know, that, that's one of the, the things that I think that most of us would really like to learn how to do. Those difficult conversations that you have with people. And you need to tell them. And you don't know how to tell them. Discipline says you do it in a gentle way. The discipline of an elder should be an example to the rest of the church. In 1 Peter chapter 2, or chapter 5 rather, verse 2, it says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. This is what elders are supposed to do. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I know that in church sometimes you've heard so many people say, uh, do as I say, not as I do. That's not what this is saying here. Do you understand? We need to strive to be a people that say, do as I do. Do exactly what I am doing. Do as I do. You know, many parents, we've lost a lot of families here. I'm going to tell you, because we have not offered something called children's church, but we have volitionally decided not to have children's church because we know because historically, you can look through any of the records that are out there. And you, we know that when a child does not go to big church, if you want to call that's what we're in right now, until they're 10 years of age, they will never, ever become real great church members. And you know what they're going to be looking for? They're going to be looking for a church that looks like Chuck E. Cheese. They're going to be looking for something that jumps up and bounces around and does all kinds of things, has laser shows or whatever it is. And that's what they're going to be looking for. But they'll never be great church members. And the reason that we don't do it is not because we just want them in the service with us. The reason that we don't do it is because we believe that the best way for a child to learn is sitting next to their parents and watching their parents worship. That's what it is. It's about watching your parents worship and so they watch their parents now i will tell you you bring things for your kids and to let them color do that they listen when they're doing that don't think that they don't do something like that i don't have a problem with that at all but i want you to remember they are watching you and parents i'll say this to you if you don't sing they're not going to sing if you don't pray they're not going to pray if you don't give they're not going to give if you don't give your heart to jesus They may still give their heart to Jesus, 
but they have much less chance that they're ever going to give their hearts to Jesus. And so they model themselves after their parents. That's who they're watching. They're watching the parents. And who are the parents supposed to be watching? Well, the scripture tells us it's the elders. The elders should live lives that are examples to the flock. Therefore, elders must be holy. That means they are set apart for God. Understand? They are set apart. That doesn't mean that there will never be a sin in their life. It means that they are setting themselves apart from God. They're setting themselves apart for the, the sins that could come in their lives. Of those th- three great sins that we find in the Bible that, that, that mention is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, what happens is, is that probably you, one of those is your, your downfall. You probably, one of them is your downfall and the other two you might do, but you don't do very often. And so what you do is you set up guards in your life. You want to be set apart for God? What you do is you set up guards that you will not be put into a position so that there will be the lust of the flesh or maybe the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. Now, let me give you an example. For example, if you have a problem with that lust of the flesh, you don't dare get on any kind of a television program that's going to appeal to the flesh. You don't get in there. It's going to be something sexual. or Actually, it's something that, uh, that uh, lust of the flesh can include that of drugs. It can tr- include alcohol. It can include those kinds of things. You don't put yourself in a position where you're going to get the drug. You don't put yourself in a position where you'll get the alcohol. If that's what your falling down part is, don't do that part. You set yourself aside and you say, I'm going to stay away from it. I'll give you another example. Let's say, for example, you have a problem with gossiping. You know what? You need to do stay away from the rest of the gossips. Really, if you know that there's people that gossip and that you fall into that trap, which by the way, when you have a problem with gossiping, it's probably a, a problem with a, a pride. I want to tell you what it probably is. It's a problem with pride. And what happens is, is that you have to stay away from those people. And if you do get into a position in which you are with somebody who's a gossip, <laughs> you say these words. Well, let's pray for that person right now. Gossips don't want to do that. They'll, they'll stop including you in their circle of gossiping right away. Because they don't want to do that. So you set yourself aside as holy. And elders set themselves aside for God. Elders are lovers of good. That is lovers of good people and good deeds. Understand that an elder will naturally associate with people that are good. And that does not mean... That they are not around some people who are sinners and, 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 and such. It means that when they are hanging around, when they're with the, uh, people that they want to be around, they're going to be with the other good people. You see, good people naturally cluster together. One of the things that I can tell you, if you've lost your first love, your first love is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. You understand? And that starts to fade. I'll tell you the first thing that happens. You don't want to be around spiritual people. You don't want to be around them. Because maybe they'll remind you. Of, and what will happen is, is that you'll, you'll start having sporadic church attendance. You'll come sometimes and not come sometimes. And then you know what you'll do? I mean, this is wonderful. You'll start making excuses for your sporadic church attendance. You know, my little toe hurt that day. It was a bad hurt of my toe you know you know that uh, I mean I'm going to step on a toe here and I know 
I got company coming in on Thursday and I had to stay around the house on Sunday so I could make it right. You understand what I'm trying to say? You'll start making excuses for why, how can I be out of church? And that's what will happen. And you know what eventually will happen? This is the craziest thing at all, of all. Once you've been out of church and you start getting more and more out of church, you know what you'll do? You'll blame the church for it. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? You blame the church for it. So when you lose your first love, that's what happens. But elders are lovers of these good people, and they hang around the good people. But let's not forget they're lovers of good deeds as well. I have taken people on mission trips, and when somebody gets on a mission trip, they have set themselves apart for God, you understand? And when they get there, they don't have all of those things that were dragging them down. I do understand that. And they get out there, and they start doing something for the Lord, and they're doing it, and they're doing it. And you know what I see in their lives? True joy starts to erupt in, in their lives. It just starts coming out. And, they, and they're wondering, why didn't I have this when I was back at home? And I will tell you why they didn't have it back at home. Because they were getting drugged down by all these things that they wouldn't set themselves apart from. But elders love these good deeds. They love to see people who do these good deeds. They love to be a part of these good deeds. So elders then, also elders must be hospitable. I'm kind of running through these things like a race, uh, on a racetrack, but I have to. See, the, the word hospitable, get this. Travelers had no place to stay. I'm going to Greek you just for a moment. And there's three words in the Greek that it was for a person to stay. The first word is pandoxion. A pandoxion was a place that you would go that is like an inn that we would have today, and they were not safe. Just going to tell you. You went to a pandoxion, you were not safe. The second word is caravanserians. And canvaseries, rather. Uh, and they're caravanseries. Let me say it right first, third, third time. Anyway, the deal is, is that you went in a caravan and you were with a bunch of people that you would know because you've been traveling in their caravan and you would stay in this place that was for people who were in caravans. And it was safer because you knew the people around you. They didn't do anything while you were in the caravan. They're not going to do anything to you now. And the other word is katalumati. Katalumati means you have a spare room in your house. Did you know when they say that thing about, you know, there was no room for Mary and Joseph in the inn? They use this word, katalumati. That's the word for spare room. And what we're talking about here is that when people were traveling, let's say, for example, an itinerant preacher was coming in. And itinerant preachers, when they came in back in those days, they didn't stay for a week of revival, not two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, but sometimes two or three years. And they would be hospitable. They would put up these preachers. That word for hospitable is the word philoxodon. Philoxodon. I'm not going to say it right. I can't get the accent just right. The word for philo is that word for love. We get Philadelphia from that, brotherly love. And the last word on there, the philoxodon, xenon, xenos is the, means a stranger or a foreigner. If you know what xenophobia is, xenophobia is the, the, it's supposed to be the fear of a, of a stranger, but it usually means it's a dislike for people from other countries. And the word is literally love for a foreigner or stranger. 
And so what would happen, fellow believers would even need to come through and have a place that they could stay. They might be fleeing persecution. Or they may, be, they may be going from one place to another that they need to go. And they could come to the church and they could say, where are your elders? My elders will put me up. I'm, they're hospitable people. They'll put me up for the time that I, I need to be here. So that the spread of the gospel and the care of others prevail in the elder's life. When I was, I went to Pennsylvania to sell Bible books back when I was in college. I drove around with two other guys, and we were just looking for a place to stay. We went from one place to the other and just looking for a place to stay. We didn't have a lot of money, so we couldn't, play, we couldn't stay in one of the Pondoxions, and, and there aren't, weren't any uh, uh, caravanseries. And, and so what we were looking for is a katalumati. You understand? Somebody having a spare room that they can put us in and that we would pay for. We didn't have a problem with that. But we went around, and at the end of the day, we couldn't find a place to stay. But a brethren preacher came and found us and said, you need a place to stay. You can stay with me. You understand what he was doing? He was exhibiting the fact that he was an elder and he was hospitable. Now, also, you had this other thing. There were no church buildings. There were no church buildings. So these elders, they must be willing to open their homes as a place of worship. And so they would, they'd open their homes to the preaching of God's word. Now, I bet many of you have had a Bible study in your home. Or you've had a, um, maybe, maybe even had a, an event of some sort. A discipleship group that went on. And I know that we've had many in our home throughout the years. But even though we have a church building, let me tell you something, folks. There's something special about having somebody in your home. There's something special about that. And this is what an elder would do. Elders must know God's word. You know, hear this. Elders are able to teach. That's what it says in the scriptures. Elders are able to teach. They know God's word and they're able to teach. This is a bit more than they can teach. It's more like they will. Uh, The scholar Alford says that it's not merely given to teaching, but able and skilled in it. They are going to be teachers. You see, they, it doesn't mean that they're gifted. Their gift is teaching. It may not be that. It may be something else. But they have a, a moral quality and, and an ability and a willingness. In fact, is even an eagerness to teach God's word. The elder looks forward to that opportunity. It's sort of like with D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, he went to his church and said, I want to teach Sunday school. And you know what they said? We don't have anybody for you to teach. If you want to have somebody to teach, you're going to have to go out and find them. So he did. He went out on the streets and he found these kids that were urchins, really, that were really, that were out there that he could take and become his Sunday school class. And he taught them. So it's special when you teach. It's not somebody who prepares their lesson for Sunday school by the light of the television and prepares it during the commercials on Saturday nights. It is somebody who does research and sweat goes into their teaching. And when it's taught properly, they want to get it right. Elders are able then to give sound doctrine. They can give sound doctrine. 
And again, that's one of the reasons that Baptists fall into these pits all of the time, because we're not taught sound doctrine. Sound doctrine can be developed only by the whole Word of God, not taking these pieces out, which I've seen that Baptists have a great ability to take out a piece of Scripture and make it a whole doctrine. It's not that way. You have to take the whole Scripture. But Paul was in uh, Acts chapter 20, verse, uh, verse, chapter 20, verse 27, Paul said he did not shrink back from teaching the whole counsel of God. You've got to know the whole counsel of God. And in that word for counsel there in, the, in that Acts passage means will or purpose. It, they, see, doctrine reveals the will of God and the purposes of God. It's his doctrine that we set, uh, uh, we have a set of beliefs founded on God's word. According to Nelson's Bible uh, dictionary, doctrine is a body of beliefs about God, man, Christ, the church, and other related concepts considered authoritative and thus worthy of acceptance by all members of the community of faith. Doctrine is what gives us the banks of our faith. Do you understand? You've got to have banks or you're not going to have a river. If you don't have any banks, you've got a swamp. It just spreads out. And this is what happens. Solid doctrine is taught by elders. Elders correct those who have unsound doctrine. Occasionally what will happen, even though a teacher is trying to teach the best they can, they will might read somebody who is going to give them unsound doctrine. Maybe they have some commentaries and maybe they realize that they don't realize rather that that is an unsound doctrine and they will teach that unsound doctrine. And they need somebody who's going to correct them and, and gently too, by the way, you need to correct them. You know, this past or a couple of weeks ago, uh, for the 4th of July, I made apple pies for my neighbors. I thought, you know, 4th of July, apple pie, you know, America, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm talking about. And so I found a new recipe. And I put the, I mean, I made this recipe with the, these apple pies. I made them and I went over and I gave them to my neighbors. And, and there was one neighbor who had, uh, he was out of town and continued to be out of town. So I didn't ever give the uh, pie over there because you can't leave it there. And so I took it home and I said, well, I might as well eat this pie. And I took a bite of that thing. I cut out a piece. It was the worst thing I'd ever stuck in my mouth that I ever. And, but you know what had, had happened before I did that? I went over to my neighbors and said, it's a different recipe. Did you like it? They said, oh, it was great. They lied. (laughs) They don't want to tell me the truth. You need somebody who's going to tell you the truth in a gentle way. And I'm going to tell you what, when I stuck that, that piece of pie in my mouth, I knew it wasn't very gentle. I threw the rest of the pie away. I'll tell you what happened there. I threw that thing away. It was that terrible. So I did go around and apologize. And they were going, oh, no, but it was great. They continued to lie. And so, but you see what has happened there, a person's made a mistake. They've not committed a sin. And and what we need to do is we need to take them aside. Sort of like what Priscilla and Aquila did with Apollos. Apollos was only teaching the, the baptism of John, not the baptism of Jesus Christ. And it says in Acts 18, 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila, a woman's name is mentioned first here. It means she's the one who spoke to him, by the way. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. You know what they did there? They were gentle. They were gentle. This is the act of an elder. An elder comes and does it. Elders must therefore be mature in the faith. 
It says here that elders cannot be recent converts. It takes time to become an elder. And an elder will address maybe the blatant sins in the congregation. They will apply church discipline in the way that it needs to be applied. Not in the way that churches have done it in the past, but biblically. And what is biblically? Galatians 6.1 Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit, in a spirit of gentleness, and keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. A mature elder is going to recognize his own sins. A mature elder will know that he might have committed these sins himself in his life. And a mature elder is gentle. Understand. Not get out of the church. We don't want you around anymore. But how can we bring you into the church again? Because a person that is in sin, they've already on the outside of the church. And what the elder is trying to do is bring them back in. Fellowship is bringing them back into the fold of the church. Sin caused them to pull away and we, with their gentleness, bring them back in. Otherwise, people are making shipwrecks of their faith. Instead of caring for them, what we often do is let them go. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 19 says, holding faith, holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this, some have made a, made a shipwreck of their faith. I will tell you, in this church alone, there have been hundreds of people who used to attend here that are not here anymore. And do you know why? I hate to say it to us. We let them go. We let them go. Now, if you knew there was a shipwreck out there and you had a boat and there were people that were going to drown, what would you do? Would you say, you know, I got a nice shiny boat. I don't want to mess it up. Or would you go out there and try to save as many people as you could? Would you try to bring back as many people as you could? Well, I'll tell you, elders help bring people in. Elders help bring them in. We don't just let them go. We go out and rescue them. So that elders perform significant functions that are not being done in the church. We need elders. But first, they need to be qualified. Scripture tells us how. Pray with me.